Well, church fam, we're going to jump right into this today as we're looking at ingredients for a healthy relationship and healthy relationships. And uh, today we're going to be specifically looking at this thought of a relational comeback, a relational comeback. How many of you would acknowledge that you've had some relationships from time to time that just get a little bit stressed or strained? Come on, be honest now, just be honest. Maybe you have one or two going on like that right now. And uh, man, we are surrounded in our world by relational strife and difficulties and conflicts. I mean, it is everywhere. There's international conflict. There's political conflict. There's racial conflict. There's religious conflict. There's family conflict. You got brothers and sisters fighting against each other. You got husbands and wives fighting against each other. And there's no pain like relational pain. There is no hurt like relational hurt. Why? Because it hits to the core of our soul. Sometimes the disagreements can be lighthearted. I remember when Casey and I first got married, and I'd been a a single youth pastor for a number of years. And so one of my favorite nights of the week is when all of the young people would come over to my house, and we'd have our small group Bible study because they'd all bring chips and dip and Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper. And when they left... All the leftover refreshments stayed with me. I, I, I could live off Doritos for about two weeks. I mean, I could just live off of the leftovers. But then on our very first night when Casey now had moved into the residence and taken her place as the woman of the house and the small group came over, they brought all the stuff. And at the end of the night, they were all getting ready to leave. She said, hey, y'all go ahead and take all this stuff. Listen, you brought it. Yeah, go ahead and take it home with you. I was like, what is she doing? And then she, she, she made this comment. She said, hey, take this Dr. Pepper. Take this Mountain Dew. We don't drink soda pop. I'm like, we don't drink soda pop? We may not drink it, but we do. Like, I was like, where does she get off talking about we don't drink soda pop? And so it was just the beginning of discovering our differences. Sometimes it seems small or it's, it's harmless. Other times it's really significant. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, there are relationships that have had such deep dispute that the relationship is damaged, sometimes seemingly beyond repair. Hurt sets in. Anger sets in. Even bitterness can set in. Maybe a friend or a family member that, that you used to be close to, and even as I'm starting to talk about this message, it's bringing that relationship to your mind, and, and you're thinking about the fact that you used to be so close, and, and y'all, y'all had such a strong relationship, but today it's, it's grown cold. It's damaged. Some of y'all would say, no, it's not damaged, it's dead. And I mean, you just call it like it is. You're like, we haven't even talked in 10, 20, 30 years. I want you to know that that may be real, but it's not God's plan. What we've been looking at in this series is how the devil, Satan, has a plan for your relationships. And and he wants them to be all mixed up at how God has his own recipe for healthy relationships. And if we'll follow God's plan, our relationships can be helped by God, strengthened by God, even healed by God. You can experience a relational comeback. In order to learn from God's Word today what that means and what it looks like, we're going to look at the story of these two characters in the Bible called Paul and Barnabas. 
started off Saul and Barnabas before Saul had his name changed to Paul. And this is such a great story. Uh, they, 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 were, they became friends. And uh, then they started doing ministry together. And yet they were totally opposites by way of personality. Anybody ever heard of the Enneagram? Come on, wave at me if you've heard of the Enneagram. It's kind of like the new personality test thing, right? It's just like taking over the world. Everybody, you, you used to you just introduce yourself, hey, I'm Scotty. But now we say, hey, I'm Scotty, I'm a three on the Enneagram. Like that's kind of how it works these days, it seems. And so just to give you a little bit of an understanding of the personalities of Paul and Barnabas. So Paul, Saul at the time, probably my guess is that he would be an eight, on the Enneagram scale, powerful, dominating type, confident, confrontational. That would, we just kind of pick up on a few things about Paul like that throughout Scripture. But then there's, there's Barnabas. I mean, the dude's name means son of encouragement. Like, I don't know what your nickname is, but they're like, here comes encouragement every time Barnabas walked into a room. And, and he was a bringer. He was what I would call the seven on the Enneagram. Fun-loving life of the party, Mr. Encourager, wanted to include people. I'm curious, how many of you would be more like an eight? Just wave at me. Anybody like the Apostle Paul? You don't have to be embarrassed. Like, There's no bad number on there. You're like, man, I'm not waiting. No, Paul, that he, you can be an eight just like Paul. Who was like more like Barnabas, like a seven? You'd be like more the life of the party, the encourager, right? So different people have different personalities. These guys get together, and God is using them greatly. When Saul first gets saved, as a matter of fact, the followers of Jesus, the disciples and, and, and those in the early church who had, who had bought into the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, when they heard that Saul had gotten saved, they were like, yeah, right. You know why? Because Saul had been persecuting the Christians up to that point. Like Paul didn't like them, disagree with them, he wanted them dead. And so now, rumor has it that Saul, the persecutor of the church, is saying that he's saved. For some reason, they're like, well, there's just part of me that doesn't want to die, so why doesn't he join a different small group? Like, I just don't want him in mind. You ever had somebody that you knew so well that when they got saved, you're like, maybe I'm still keeping an eye on my pocketbook. You ever met anybody like that? Like, you're like, praise the Lord, that's good. You just stay over there, though. That's the way it was with Saul. And so it says that, that the, 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 the Christians were afraid of him, but it says that Barnabas, the bringer, brought him in and said, he's with me. They became bros and started doing ministry together. And along the way, they pick up this young intern, if you will, this, this young guy by the name of John Mark. Uh, he was kind of like an intern for these spiritual giants, if you will. And this whole ministry thing was new for John Mark. He wasn't used to traveling. Uh, he wasn't used to the demands of ministry. He wasn't used to just a lot of the difficulties that, the, especially the early church, what they were experiencing and what they were going through. And so there came a point to where he was at his tipping point, his breaking point. And we learn from this story that John Mark says, I think that my mom is calling me. I'm going to head on back home. And so he does. But Paul, the number eight on the Enneagram, doesn't like quitters. He's driven. He's hard worker. And... Um, Suffice it to say, he got bothered when John Mark quit. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. 
Verse 37, Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along with them John Mark. So they had this thing going on. They're doing the work of the Lord. They're like, hey, this young intern, John Mark, come with us. He joins this dynamic duo. They're out doing the work of the Lord. John Mark gets a little homesick. He's missing his mama. And so he goes back home. Paul is ticked off. He's like, what do you think? Man, you listen, this is, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. If you go out that door, don't you ever come back. I mean, Paul is just all worked up. You say, how would you know that? Because here it is all this time later, and listen what it says. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but verse 38, but Paul disagreed, what does it say? Strongly. Why was he disagreeing? It says, since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So he's like, no, he's not going to go with us. And it says in verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Barnabas says, let's give John Mark a second chance. Paul says, there's not a chance. Barnabas says, come on, man, cut him some slack. Paul says, nope. Paul is confident, strong, direct, and, 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 and confrontational. He's hard worker driven. Barnabas is like, man, it's about people. It's all about friendships. It's all about relationships. And it says there was such a strong disagreement that they separated. How many of you know it must have been intense if you can tick off number seven, Barnabas? How many of you know it must have been pretty, pretty strong? So he's upset. They go their separate ways. It was more than a disagreement. It was a heated argument, sharp dispute. They part ways. Paul one way, Barnabas another. And I'm sure that there were a lot of emotions involved. Obviously anger. They're mad. They're frustrated. But these were friends. To come to such a, a fork in the road, if you will, and not stay unified and to say, then I'm going left and I'm going right. There's got to be some sense of disappointment, some sadness, some hurt that's going on here. Would it be a stretch even to say that maybe Barnabas even struggled with some resentment? Can you imagine what he's thinking? Oh, okay, Paul, I forgot. Yeah, you didn't need grace. Oh, I forgot, Paul. Oh, did I call you Saul? That's right, because that's who you were at the time when nobody wanted to hang out with you because of the way you had been acting, but I put you under my wing and I brought you in. I'm just saying, I'm sure there was a whole lot stirred up in their hearts and their minds when they go their separate ways. And yet, I'm going to cut down to the end of this story because it's one of hope. And it's one that we learn as you get down later through Scripture. You see that these guys experienced a relational comeback. Because that's the plan of God for all of us. He doesn't want his people divided. The enemy's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to wreck your relationships. God wants to bring healing to places that have been hurt. Restoration to relationships that have been severed. That's the plan of God. And so when you look at their story, that's exactly what happened. First Corinthians, as Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he's talking to them, and 
It's kind of interesting that he mentions a friend of his. He mentions Barnabas, and he calls him his co-laborer. The team's back together again. They're back at it together. The dynamic duo is still serving the Lord together. As a matter of fact, even when it comes to John Mark, I think something has happened that's kind of smoothed over the rough edges of the number eight, the Apostle Paul. As it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writing this towards the end of his life. His days are now numbered. His life is just about over, and it's almost as if you can hear him getting sentimental here in 2 Timothy 4, 11, where he writes, only Luke is with me. He says, so... Get Mark. Go get John Mark and bring him with you. Look what it says. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Oh, Paul's had a change of heart. He's singing to a different tune. You know why? It's because these men of God understood, yes, we have challenges. Yes, we've had frustrations. Yes, we've had some difficulties. No, we didn't see everything eye to eye. But they chose to rise above their differences. Why? Because they understood that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. I want to acknowledge today as I get ready to, to get into the heart of this message, I get it that this is a hard teaching. I just, want, I just want to say that. Even as I was praying for you, praying over this message, as I was preparing it, I knew this is not an easy talk to swallow. This is hard. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. And, and I understand that there may be some of us in here, like, if we're going to be totally honest, we're not even looking for the relational comeback. The last thing that's on your mind is, is, is not how can we reconcile, why? Because it's hard to forget what they did. It's hard to forget what they said. It's hard to forget how you felt. Still to this day, you can't get your mind around or understand why they did what they did. And so I don't know that it would be fair to say all of us are always super motivated just to say, yeah, let's just go ahead and reconcile. But here's the word that all of us as followers of Jesus have to accept is that while the enemy has a plan for your relationships, so does God. And we don't have the luxury, if you will, or the convenience of saying, this time I want to follow God's plan, that time I don't. In this area of my life, thank you, Lord, I want your blessing. In this one, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and keep my arms around this one. Please don't interfere with this. And you nor I can read Scripture without coming to the place. Here's what we have to be just honest with ourselves about is that you cannot read Scripture and draw any other conclusion except for the fact that God makes a big deal about our earthly relationships. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. It says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a point to ponder. This is not just a little thought for you to consider. It says, and he has given us this command. Those who love God must also 
love their fellow believers. That's no joke right there. I can't be right with God if I'm wrong with you. He's saying this is a command. Like this is something that we don't negotiate. He's saying if you say that you love me, I'm glad that you care about this vertical relationship of loving me. But I care also about the horizontal relationships. And if they're not right, then it's not right with us. And some of you are all like, no, I love them. I love them far away. I want them away from me. I, want, I love them right out of my life. But listen, let's just be open to what Scripture is saying. He says in 1 Peter chapter 3 that the way that we handle our earthly relationships can actually hinder our prayers. Think about this. Some of us are experiencing today unanswered prayers because of the way we're handling our earthly relationships. That's Scripture. As a matter of fact, he says, when you come into my house and you come to sing, you come to lift your voices, you come to give in the offering, he's like, that is awesome. But if you're getting ready to do that, but you have something something against somebody, there's something not right in a relationship, he says, before you start singing, first go and make that right. Look at it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. He says, therefore... If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, somebody say first. Come on, shout first. First, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. This is a big deal. It's just a big deal. So we can't choose to read read our Bibles with a highlighter in one hand and a pair of scissors in the other. Oh, Lord, that's good. Oh, yes, Lord, highlight that. Highlight that. And then you see something, you know, I don't want to take that part right out of there. We can't do it. So now we got to look at this and go, okay, if it's this hard and yet it's that clear, how do I do this? What, what's he expect of me? We're going to look and see what the Word says, and I'm going to give you four key ingredients to a relational comeback. What does God expect, and how do we do it? If you're taking notes, you can write down, number one, understand that all relationships, somebody say all relationships, understand that all relationships will have conflict, all of them. Like you can't find one that doesn't. I mean, I hate it for Paul and Barnabas that these men of God, these heroes of the faith, I hate it for them that they had such a strong dispute and disagreement. But can I just tell you, for me, it makes me feel a little bit better that if these super powerful personalities of Scripture had sparks, I can now look at it and go, no wonder I do in my own relationships. Because all relationships experience conflict. Because we're all broken, imperfect people. We all have different personalities. Plus, we all struggle with a sin nature. Did you know that the person you're seated next to right now, they still battle with a sin nature? Did you know that? Now, don't say amen, praise the Lord. Yes, they do. But I'm just saying, on the inside, did you know that? We all do. Listen to what it says in James chapter 4, verse 1. It says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? It's like, where's it coming from? What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? It is coming from these crazy people around you who don't know how to act. Wait, does it say that? 
What is causing these quarrels and these fights among you is coming from these people who don't have any people skills around, these people who don't love Jesus. No, it doesn't say that. Look what it says. Don't they come from the evil desires at war? What does it say? Within you. Oh, man. Lord, you got to point it back at me like that? you got to point back at my own heart. He's saying, you got to understand, we have all this relational conflict and difficulty because we have different personalities. We all struggle with sin nature, and we have to work through these things. In, in, in those, uh, those early days, I, I mentioned when Casey and I got married, and you know, we're learning to, to live together and, and learning how the personalities come together and work together. And it's really funny because like, when we were having our early on arguments, like her style was just to be uh, vocal, very vocal, very, very, very verbal. Very, very verbally vocal when she wanted to argue. She just, she just wanted, she just wanted to go. And 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 I'll, anybody else like me that when you get mad you get quiet. Anybody else get like that? It's like, oh, you know, he's really ticked. He isn't saying anything. Like say something. But I would just, I would just, I just get quiet. Hmm. 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 And she's like, it's so hard to argue with you because you don't say anything. Like, hmm. Mm-hmm. She said, I knew one day when you were so mad, because she said, you finally said something. You said, I'm so mad right now. I really want to take that chair and throw it out the window. She was like, he has snapped. He has lost it. So we just processed differently. But one day when we were arguing, she started crying. And I just looked at this with this sob. She's like, oh, oh. I was like, man, what in the world? Like, she's just... Like, this is, okay, we, we've, we've crossed the line here. Like, this is, oh, she said, do you think we're even compatible? She asked me that. She said, do you even think we're compatible? I'm like, do I think we're compatible? And I said, uh, no. <laughs> Actually, I don't. She's like, you don't think we're compatible? I said, no, but we, we're stuck now. I mean, we didn't know, but now we know we're married. We just we're stuck. <laughs> hey, I'm just kidding, y'all. I didn't say that. Look, some of y'all are just like, you are ruthless. You said that? I didn't say that. Because <laughs> listen, when it comes to working through relational conflict, it's not about compatibility, but adaptability. This is what all of us have to understand is that we gotta get over ourselves and realize that this is a part of relationships. Just because there's conflict doesn't mean that you can't have a comeback. You have to write it off just because he went off or she went off. or You have to lose hope just because they were so argumentative. You can experience a comeback. Let's talk about how a second key ingredient is that you got to own what you can own. you got to own what you can own. In other words, if we sit around always waiting for something else to happen or somebody else to change, we're waiting for as soon as he does, as soon as she will, if he will say, if she will say, then, no, what can I do to own what I can own? Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Stop right there. That's where most of us start. 
repaying evil for evil because that is Satan's game plan. That's his recipe for your relationships. They did that to you, show them what's up. Give it back to them. Give them twice of it. Give them a double whammy of wickedness. You know, they want to do something like that, give them a double portion back. He says, do not do that. He says, be careful to do what isn't right in the eyes of everyone. Look at verse 18. If it is possible, if it is possible, hear the key words, as far as it depends on you. You know what he's saying? Do what you can do. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The best place to start for a relational comeback is by taking a long, hard look in the mirror. And going, God, what is it through this situation that you're trying to teach me? I know that's hard. I know that when we're in some kind of conflict or disagreement, we are so focused on the other person. It's very difficult for us to start by saying, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? But when you begin by evaluating your own heart, you're taking control of what you alone can control. And some of us would say, hey, even if there is anything in me, it's 99.999999% her. It is 99.99999% him. And so what the Word of God is saying, okay, great. So to get this party started, let's focus on that point zero 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 one percent that's your fault. Start there. God, what is it in me that you're showing me? Can I be honest with you, just with my personality? It's very difficult for me if, if, if it's obvious, which it always is obvious that it's the other person and not me. But when it's obvious that it's 99.9% .9 somebody else, it's very difficult for me to say, but let me just take a moment to focus on the 0.001% of me. That's very difficult for me. But I'm learning to own my own part, to start off with an approach of humility. Start off just by being um, uh, uh, humble enough to say, what is it that I could have done differently? You know what I've discovered is when I start asking that, God starts talking to me. I usually don't like it, but he'll talk to me. What could you have said differently? What could you have done differently? How could you have responded differently? Instead of pouring gasoline on that fire, how could you have poured water on it instead? How could you respond with a humble spirit? How could you own your part? Is there anything you could have said differently? Anything you should have said differently? Anything you should not have said? Is there anything and just during that conversation, what if you would strive to seek first to understand before being so committed to being understood? Well, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you how that hit. Let me tell you my thought. Let me tell you. What if we started off just by saying, what was going on in your head? What did I do to make you feel like you needed to do that or say that? What was it on my part that I could have done differently? I know that that takes all kinds of courage, but it's the Bible. You live in humility. It's how we have relational unity. You follow the devil's path, you get to his destination of destruction. 
even though it's hard at times to walk the path that God has called us to, it always, somebody say always, it always leads to God's blessing. No, it doesn't come naturally. We have to work at it. But if we, I'm convinced of this in my opinion, that the vast majority of disagreements could be settled if we would all just commit to learning the other person's perspective. Learning a little more about where they're coming from. And some of you would be hearing that today and you're like, man, that'd be great if their fault was only limited to 99.9%. But there are times when you're involved in a situation to where there isn't anything that you did to deserve it or ask for it. It was abusive, emotionally, physically, sexually abusive. You didn't ask for that, and it happened. Or somebody stole something from you. They break in your house and steal something from you, and now the preacher is saying, well, what could you have done differently? Like, I could, what do you want me to get, a guard dog? What do you want me to do? do you just want, what do you want me to do? And there are times to where it's not so much a matter of what you should have done differently, but it's still important to say, so God, what's my next move? Here's the third ingredient. It's still okay to address it, but it's very important how you address it. Number three, speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. He's saying there will be times that the right thing to do, the Bible thing to do, is not to ignore to go, well, I'm just so holy. I'm not going to confront it. Well, I'm not going to say anything. Well, I'm not going to address it. Listen, there are times to where the conversation needs to be had and the truth needs to be spoken. But God says even then you've got to speak the truth wrapped in love. You've got to make sure that from your heart it's not just this vindictive, this, this I want revenge, I, I want to come at you on this, but instead it's I want to speak the truth because I care about the relationship. I want it to be resolved. Most all of us avoid confrontation. Most people don't like to confront and for those of you that's like, not me, I like it. You scare me. Okay, let me just say right now, the people who are like, no, I like confrontation. You ever met somebody like that? They're like, man, I just tell it like it is. You ever met anybody like that? They're like proud of it. That's like one of the first things they want to tell you. I'm a straight shooter. And like, no, you're mean and you need Jesus. Okay, that's what you really need. You need Jesus, all right? So, so, so it's not a matter of, I'm just doing the Bible thing. I'm just shooting straight. Shooting straight, doing the Bible thing is speak the truth. In love, when you're shooting straight, are people feeling like you're shooting at them? Or you're trying to win them? See, a lot of times we're more committed to winning an argument than winning a friendship. Making a point instead of winning a heart. That's not the Word of God. That's not the plan of God. We've got to be careful not just on what we say, but how we say it. Listen to this. It's very difficult to be both persuasive and abrasive at the same time. When we come and we're offensive, people naturally become defensive. So we got to pay attention to the right place, the right time, the right tone, the right place if you're going to speak the truth in love. Can you just use some wisdom 
on where you might go about doing that? You ever seen anybody try and work out their marital dispute on aisle three at the grocery store? You ever seen that happen before? And you're just trying to reach for fruity pebbles, but you just want to be like, this is not the place. You just want to tell them. You just want to drop that little nugget of wisdom right there on the like, Man, this is not the place for right place, right time. When you're emotional, when you're fired up, you're all worked up, you're mad, you're fired. But the Bible says we're going to work this out. So get over here right now. It's like, hey, man, count to ten. Like eight or nine times. <laughs> then take a nap. Eat a Snickers bar. Whatever you have to do. And then let's revisit this. Right place, right time, right tone. Because sometimes it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it. You could have the same question with the same one-word answer, but it could come out different ways. Can I go to the game with you? And the answer could be yes. But there's a, can I go to the game with you? And the answer is Yes! Quit asking me! Those of you with kids, you know how that is. You can say yes, but the way you said it, everybody in the room is like, okay, all right. I heard that. I heard that. Can I go to the game with you? Yes. Equals if you have to. I still said yes, but I commit yes. Can I go to the game with you? Yes. Because I want you to. Same question, same one word, three totally different ways of communicating. It's not just what you say, but how you say it. What do people feel when you speak the truth? That you're out to destroy them? Out Out to hurt them? Or because you're trying to win them? You can speak the truth. You can address the issue. But God says, do it in love. And some people would say, but what if they don't respond? I'm doing my best that I can to say what should be said, and I'm trying my best to say it the way that I should. And what if even when I ask for forgiveness, they're not willing to forgive me? Or when if I, what, if I, what if I'm talking to them, and they don't even ask me for forgiveness? And what if I try to forgive them anyway, and they don't even receive my forgiveness or forgiving them? Here's what you have to understand. It takes one person to forgive it takes two to reconcile. I can't control the other person's response, but I can steward my own heart. I don't have to allow yesterday's hurt to come walking with me into today and tomorrow. I don't have to allow yesterday's pain to rule and reign my life today. I can pray for and trust God for and believe in Him for a relational comeback. But if that person on the other end of that equation chooses not to, that's between them and Jesus. I'm going to do what the Bible says I'm supposed to do so that I can walk in His blessing. Fourth and final ingredient is this. Be more committed to reconciliation than to resolution. Be more committed to reconciliation than resolution. Paul and Barnabas needed each other, and so do you and I. They needed to acknowledge that their problem was a problem, but the relationship was bigger than the problem. I wonder how many people today have wrecked relationships. People today who were so focused on the issue and trying to resolve it, and when it wasn't resolved, they gave up on the relationship, wrecked a a, a million-dollar relationship over a 50-cent argument because it was undealt with. 
Because we didn't seek to understand. We didn't seek to forgive. We didn't seek to, to, to work it out. We didn't seek to reconcile. Listen, you can have reconciliation even if there's not resolution. We tend to be too quick to fight and too slow to make up. We need to be just as committed to a comeback as we were to the conflict. Put just as much passion and energy in winning it back that you did when the fight first started. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship. It's always more rewarding. The devil wants you to give up, but God wants us to fight for one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. It says in verse 3, Make every effort. Somebody say every effort. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I can have a comeback in my relationships before we settle the issue. I'm not saying we don't communicate about the differences, that we don't address them, but we don't have to agree about 100% on everything before we can sit down and have dinner together again. We can work through it. You can have conflicting opinions without having conflicted relationships. I know for Casey and me, I've used her as the example because oftentimes it's those closest to you that you have the most challenge with. But it's true of son and daughter relationships. It's true of work relationships or just extended family. It's true in all of them. But what we're learning is that we can walk hand in hand even if we don't see eye to eye on something. We can work through it. I'm not suggesting to you today that that means that you have to be best friends. I'm not even saying today that you have to stay in that dating relationship, but there's some strong disagreement. You can still have relationship without you staying in a dating relationship. I'm not saying that in order to have reconciled relationship that you've got to go and remarry your ex. I'm not saying anything like that. We're talking about common sense, applying the Word of God to our situation, that we're talking about unity. We're talking about harmony. We're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about healing. We're talking about the blessing of God being on your life because you choose to do the Bible thing. And yet, if we're honest, we'd say, Scotty, even if I believe everything that you're saying, man, this is going to be hard. God never calls us to do his will in our own strength. When we step out and say, God, I'm going to honor you, you will watch the resource of heaven be wind in your sails as you take steps of obedience. His story is the story of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. How many of you are thankful that God reconciled you to him, that he brought you back to himself through Christ? And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. See, we view our relationship with Him, our relationship with others, as one big story of reconciliation. I'm going to pray for you today, but unless I miss my guests, 
the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart. And it could be that your next practical step is to write that letter that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to write. It could be that He's speaking to your heart to pick up the phone and make that phone call that's going to be really, really difficult to make. Or to send that text that says, Can we get coffee? Could we grab lunch? But you will never, ever regret honoring God and His Word. Even when it's difficult, you will experience the blessing and the favor of God on your life. What the other person does, that's up to them. It takes two to reconcile, but let God take care of them. Trust God to take care of you. Would you bow your heads and let's prepare to pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to pray over you today. And if you just say, Scotty, I need a relational comeback in my life, and I need God to help me. Would you just slip up your hand? Come on, all over the room. Just say, yeah, I need that in my life. I need a relational comeback. A mom or dad, a son or daughter, brother, sister, I need God's help. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room today that just need your help in this area of relational reconciliation. I pray that you would do a miracle and do what only you could because you are the God of miracles. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I wonder how many of you would say today, Scotty, I'm not right with God, but I need to be. I need my own heart reconciled to Him. The truth is you've gone your own way. You've done your own thing. You've followed your own path. You haven't been serving God with all of your heart. You've allowed sin to become between you and Him. And today you want to say, Scotty, I want to come to God. I need my sins forgiven. I want God to be the king of my heart. Scotty, when you close in prayer, would you include in that prayer, I want to go to heaven instead of hell. I want to be reconciled with God. Without hesitation, all over this room, if that's you and you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, when I count to three, would you shoot your hand up in the, in the air just long enough for me to see it? And you can put it back down. I'm going to pray for you. One, two, three. Would you raise it up right now? Come on, raise it up. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Watching online, just slip your hand up. Awesome. If you're raising your hand and want to commit your life to Christ, please repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Today I surrender my life to you. I ask you to be Lord of my heart. I want to follow you with everything that's within me. You're my king. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together right now and celebrate that. Thanks to the Lord.